Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. All right, um, I've got some things to share today, but um, I don't know that I'm going to have enough time <laughs> to get through all this. We're just going to try and see um, how far we can get here, and it is something that is um, kind of one of those trigger topics. You know, there are a few of those that are just difficult to talk about because of the culture and several other things going on, and primarily because of the enemy. But um, I'm going to go there anyway, and the reason is I really want us to not only be equipped in every way, but prepared, and also that we would be armed to pray and to exercise the authority God has given us in prayer for things and be able to pray uh, according to the Lord's will and his heart and that we would have compassion for people as well and uh, see things from his perspective. So uh, I'm going to ask for prayer right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just want to say thank you for today and this beautiful day you've given to us. Thank you for uh, this place that you've given to us. Thank you for all the, the generosity of people that have helped make this happen, that we can be in this building, uh, as well as the veterans and those who have given us a, a country to live in. Lord, thank you for the kingdom that we get to be a part of. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are to us, that you've saved us. We have the privilege of being called children of God, the highest appellation in, in the entire world, Lord, in the universe is to be yours. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for that. And Lord, we ask even right now that you would uh, help bring clarity uh, in this world. Lord, you are so good at working through chaos, bringing clarity where things are foggy. And Lord, uh, we ask for your help even now by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. And th th my topic really today, I want to talk about Israel and, um, and the Jewish people today. And I have been told many times, I get told lots of different things. Uh, one thing is, Matt, you know, only talk about the Bible and spiritual things. Well, I'm going to mention the Bible several times. Uh, and stay away from anything that would be considered political. Well, there's so many things that are just life issues that politics grabs a hold of, uh, and that could be a part of it. And so we aren't supposed to avoid those things, I don't believe, because it's part of our everyday life and living and I think we need to talk about some of these things, particularly as I talk about some of the scriptural aspects of this, how this is related to where we are now in the world. And uh, so, you know, the whole world is focused on this conflict right now in Israel. We've talked about it here a few times as well. And uh, just the, the horror about a, just over a month ago, the attack on Israel and all of those deaths and uh, kidnapped people and all the things that have happened on there. So the, the world is focused on this. And it's a it's a trigger point as well. Unlike any other topic in the entire planet, this is a trigger point for so many in the world. It stirs up great love and admiration, stirs up great hatred. There are just, it, it's, it's usually one or the other. And, um, and you can see that stirring, even our own nation, and all really most nations around the world, you have a lot of this going on. So this is, really is relevant and I want to share today from a natural and a spiritual perspective, if I can, uh, about what is going on. There are so many influences in the unseen world. You guys realize that before you're even a, a body, you are a spirit, right? You're a spirit being, and so much of what goes on in the natural is affected by spirit, the Holy Spirit or other spirits that are not holy, Right? There's this, the unseen realm. If our eyes, even in this very moment, if we could close our eyes and open back up and see everything that's going on in the spirit world, it would be amazing. We would see angels. We would see demonic forces. Uh, we would see principalities, all of those things. So there's a spiritual dimension to so many things going on in the world. There always have been, and particularly related to this topic. There's a spiritual dimension there are forces 
um, warring that have been warring for a very, very long time. And so it's important to understand that. As a little bit of an example, you know, even as I'm speaking right now, I'm in a body, speaking with my mind, asking the Holy Spirit to speak through me, and your spirit will resonate with things that the Holy Spirit says through me, right? Your spirit responds to that. Uh, In the same way, or similar way, evil spirits can stir through people, and when those voices go out of people, they can stir up something inside of someone else. Hitler was very good at this. He had a skill in speaking, he practiced it, but the spirit that moved him or he was really using him stirred up things in people that were really evil, right? So the anger um, and the frustration that was latent in people when they heard words of Hitler where he said, here's the reason why you are you know, you're frustrated and why you've got anger and why things are going wrong. It's because of the Jews and it's because of the capitalism. Here's your enemy. And he put the enemy in front of them. And they bought into that. They bought into this is our enemy, Jewish people. So let's get rid of them and let's get rid of capitalists. And you can see where that went in the concentration camps, which I visited. And you can see that not only did they throw the Jews and the capitalists, but they threw clergy in there. Uh, got rid of a lot of Christians that way as well. And when Jesus was ministering, and I'll mention this in Luke chapter 13, it says, now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who was for 18 years had an illness caused by a spirit. She had an illness caused by a spirit. So spirits not only stir up things on the inside of someone's emotions and their heart, But oftentimes, spirits can cause physical ailments as well. She was bent double, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you're released from your illness. Jesus dealt with a spiritual issue which caused a natural healing. Isn't that interesting? So there's, again, this spiritual dimension going on. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, but the Holy Spirit explicitly and unmistakably declares that in latter times, some will turn away from the faith. And instead of hanging on to their faith, they'll pay attention instead to deceitful and seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. They're going to pay attention to doctrines of demons, deceitful and seductive spirits. Now, you can't see those but you can feel those, right? And it's a warning to everyone. Uh, The the sobering words of Jesus are that even the elect, many of them will be deceived. So we need to keep our eyes on Jesus 100% all the way, all the way through and in what he says because deception and deceptive spirits are working overtime to try and deceive the entire world. Now, of course, we know one day when we actually see the devil, we're going to go, that's the guy that tricked the whole world? You've got to be kidding me. But he comes across as something very true and big and powerful. What he's doing is deceiving everywhere that he goes. Some examples of this deception, of course, the Holocaust, as that got worked out by Hitler's words, that uh, resulted in the annihilation of 6 million Jews in a 12-year period. That wiped out one-third, over one-third of the entire world Jewish population. The unborn child from 1973 to 2023, these 50 years, you can see that that mindset and that deception to dehumanize, and that's always a trick with the enemy. This is is the important one for us to always understand. Is same with Hitler. He called Jews cockroaches, rats, and mice. So if you dehumanize a person, and then you see them as not really people, then you can justify doing all manner of evil to that thing, because it's not really a person. We've done that with the unborn. 
It's not really a person, it's a blob. It's just some cells together. So once you dehumanize it, then it feels, if you can feel justified to destroy it. That is the same thing the enemy does all along the way. You remember in the 90s, I think it was 94, with the Tutsis and Hutus. Remember that? In Rwanda, one group of people called the other group of people, they're nothing but cockroaches, they're not really people. That was their word, cockroaches. And the spirit behind that was so vile, rose up and they slaughtered 800,000 of people that looked like them, that were basically their cousins from two different tribes, wiped them out, displaced millions of people through dehumanizing spirit, a seductive spirit that dehumanizes and the enemy comes behind that to wipe people out. It's how the enemy works. There's a spiritual dimension to so many things going on. It's principalities and powers. It's what Ephesians 6 says. This is what our battle is against. Principalities and powers. Demonic forces in several places. So uh, I want to go through a very abbreviated history related to Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, there are many of the pieces I'm going to leave out just for the sake of time. I could really talk for, I really could two or three hours straight just about this part. So just abbreviated, nearly 4,000 years ago, Abraham, the father of both the Jews and the Arabs, was led by God to the land that is now called Israel. Abraham had two sons. You remember that? The first was named Ishmael, the second Isaac. A large number of Arabs today trace their lineage to Ishmael. Some... Um, to others as well, but Ishmael will be the primary lineage traced back to, to him for the Arab people. The Jews trace their lineage back to Isaac and his son Jacob. And of course, his son Judah, where we get the word Jew from. So, that's, so you got these two lineages coming down. From the beginning, the descendants of Ishmael were warlike people. Genesis 25 says this. They lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. They lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. Genesis 25, 18. This fulfilled God's word, his earlier word, that Ishmael would, quote, be a wild donkey of a man. His hand would be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. That's Genesis 16, 12. So there's this warlikeness. And there's this um, wildlikeness that's going to be against all of his brothers and all of his cousins. He's going to be against them. For the next 2,000 years after these guys were born, the Jews were taken or held in captivity in another nation a few times, several different times, and some was the whole nation, some was part of the nation. Uh, the first one that we know about, of course, was in Egypt as they Due to famine or in hunger, things like that, they went down to Egypt. You remember um, Joshua, or excuse me, Joseph bringing his, his dad down, and they grew and grew in Egypt. Then they become slaves there. The Bible says for around 400 years they were enslaved there, and then God led them out, brought them back to the land, the promised land. Um, and then Babylon was another really taking of the Jewish people as a whole into captivity to Babylon. That was really a judgment from God, by the way, also. So it wasn't just these guys coming and taking them over. It says very clearly in the scripture, this was a judgment from God. God even used Nebuchadnezzar to come and get them because of how they had turned against God and had sinned uh, so, so badly that the patience of God was, was done with them for a while. But the promise through Jeremiah was that in 70 years they would return, which they did. And they came back to the land again. And there was a few that stayed on the land, uh, but most were taken away. Each time, again, they came back. Then the land of Israel and the Jewish people have been ruled by some 20 different nations and, re and different religions for these several thousand years. Several different people have come and ruled over them. From the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians. By 70 AD, so this is right after Jesus, right after Pentecost, a few years after Pentecost, 
By AD 70, the Roman Empire was over, ruling over Palestine at that point, or Judea and Samaria. They crashed and crushed the temple, kicked the Jews out, destroyed a lot of things. Back then, then they renamed what was Israel or Judea and Samaria. They renamed it Palestine. So the Romans came up with that word Palestine. And they did it kind of as a rub it in their face because it comes from the word from the Philistines, which is Israel's enemy for so many years. They used that word Palestine uh, to rub it in their face and call this land theirs as they kick them out. So that happened in AD 70, scattering Jews around the world, not just Jews, but Christians at that point as well, because the persecution from Jews in many ways happened to Christians, so they were scattered. And then the Romans scattered the Jews, what's called the diaspora, as they were scattered throughout the different nations of the world, persecuted, often hunted, chased down, mistreated, But throughout the thousands of years, there's always been a presence of Jewish people on the land. Even though it was small at times, sometimes the population grew where they were the majority of the people on the land. Sometimes it was the minority. Just varied, depending on who was ruling. And then um, in the 7th century, in the 600s, Islam started. Muhammad had revelations from an angel that threw him on the ground, told him to read. He said, I can't read because he was illiterate forced him and gave him this revelation, this message to carry and to take. And so Islam started. They then conquered um, Israel. And Arabs then moved in to take possession of a good portion of that land. And that's where we get really the modern-day Palestinian people came during that time period, most of them, late 600s um, A.D. And then, of course... In the 11th century, the Crusades began, the Christian Crusades, right? Um, This is really a big blight on Christianity. Uh, I'm going to say it this way. I think that the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Empire, which got mixed together, hijacked what Jesus started, and it became more political than it was what Jesus started. And so for a 1,000 years, leading us through the dark, dark ages, we got something called Christian but it was not Christian at its core or essence. And a guy named Peter the Hermit and Pope Urban said, what we need to do is raise up an army and go take the land of Israel back for us, for the Christians. So let's kill the Muslims and we'll kill the Jews too while they're because they're the ones who killed Jesus. So you've got all that that happens. What a mess. So for 200 years and eight different trips, over 200 years, crusades happened from Europe, streaming down, ravaging, raping, pillaging along the way, killing Muslims, killing Jews. Pretty sad history there. Um, And then, well, and it's kind of a side note with that, is that oftentimes, and I've been in the Middle East, still today, um, people from Islam, Muslims will often, when they think of Christians, Um, they think of the Crusades still, that that is, you know, kind of a Christian thing. And so even when we have these Christian festivals where we go share the gospel and call it a crusade, that really is not the best thing. And for many people around the world, they they go, oh, yeah, really? That's, you know, crusade, that's what you want to call that. Um, It's it's really not thought of very highly around the world. Um, And then from... 1500s through 1918, Israel, now Palestine, renamed Palestine, was ruled by the Ottoman Empire, the Turks. Uh, They're Muslim as well. And then World War I took place. And in World War I, the Allies versus the Central Powers, the Allies defeated the Ottoman Empire. And Britain had a good amount of soldiers already in Palestine during the war, and it was decided at the end of that war that Britain would be assigned to administer all of Palestine, which included Jordan, or it was called Transjordan then. And so they were assigned that, and even before that war ended, Britain was 
They could see the writing on the wall. They knew that they would be on the land, and they had a plan. One, one part of their plan, called the Balfour Declaration, was to give a homeland back to the Jews. So the Balfour Declaration was made, and the plan was then leaked out that, uh, to some of the Jewish leaders who lived on the land that they would have their own nation one day. There were also promises made to the Arabs that they would get the land. So there were some conflicting promises made by the British in that, which is a part of the problem we have today as well. In 1922, the British Mandate, which came from the League of Nations, the predecessor to the UN, 51 nations, called the League of Nations, uh, adopted the Mandate for Palestine, which was going to carve Palestine up and give Jewish their own homeland as well as an area for the Arabs as well. And once that was announced for the next 30 or 40 years, really 30 years, there was a lot of turmoil and conflict because they did not get along well. The Arabs would attack the Jews, the Jews would retaliate, and they would kill one another, and it was a big mess. And Britain had a mess on their hands because they are administrating this. Then in the final year of the extermination of 6 million Jews, 1945, um, no nation would take those who were trying to flee, the Jews who were trying to flee Germany, Poland, and other places, uh, no nation would take them in, including the United States. We turned away a whole shipload of 900 Jews. I uh, told them they could not land here. They were turned away from everywhere. In fact, they were even turned away from Israel at that time because uh, Britain turned them away. So they had no place to go. They had no homeland. And in 1947, I'm going to get here toward the end here, 1947, Something remarkable happened. If we can put that first slide up. You guys know, I'm just, I call it the discovery of maybe history, but certainly the 20th century, at least in my opinion, was the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, recognize the year is 1947. Shepherd boy throws a rock into a cave, one of those caves, throws a rock, hears a jar break. So it stirred up his curiosity. He goes up there, discovers these jars, a lot of them, and inside were filled with these scrolls written on leather, papyrus, some on copper, and they were all wrapped in linen inside these jars. It was the discovery of manuscripts written in Hebrew primarily, some in Aramaic, dating back to 300 B.C. So it took the most recent Documents, manuscripts we had of the Bible, and it pushed that date back a thousand years. And when they compared these documents, these manuscripts, with the Bible that we had, it was almost identical. So we had a pure word that had lasted all this time, but written on these, in, in these, on these manuscripts, of course, is the Bible, with the exception, I think, of the book of Esther that they found. 15,000 manuscripts. 15,000. And in there are scriptures saying, promises over and over, which I'm going to go through here in a moment, of God saying, I'm going to give the land back to Israel, and I'm going to bring the Jewish people who have been scattered around the world back to their land. That happens in 1947. A few months later, same year, November 29th, 1947, there's now um, the UN replacing the League of Nations, and they say, well, British gave this, gave this um, authority to them. The British said, we don't know what to do with Palestine. UN, would you decide what to do? So they said on November 29th, we're going to give the Jews back their homeland, as well as a, a portion for the Arabs as well. So once that happened and that declaration was made, of course, there was a lot of celebration. They said, we're going to do it in May of 1948. But for those next five or six months, there was a lot of turmoil, as you can imagine. The Arabs and the Jews not getting along, and they're both wanting their own land, and they're, I would say, in particular, the Arabs are wanting all of it. 
and not wanting the Jews there caused lots of turmoil. So that in 1948, we can go to that next slide, May 14th, 1948, Israel, based on what the UN declared, actually becomes their own nation. Britain's flag is lowered, Israel's is raised, and they have a nation, which is pretty remarkable when you think that they hadn't had one for 2,000 years. And through the diaspora, chased all over the place, annihilated several different places, and without a homeland, miraculously, this happens just months after all these scrolls are discovered. Um, pretty, pretty remarkable. The next day, day one of being a brand new nation, five countries invade and attack them to kill them. Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, and Iraq bring their armies and they come to attack a one-day-old nation. And one of, I would say, one of the most, just like finding the scrolls, I think was the greatest uh, discovery of that century. I think this is a miracle that is rarely ever talked about that's a modern-day miracle, is that they survived. You've got armies that attack them, and at, against all odds and predictions by Western powers, Syrian tank columns were turned back by farmers throwing Molotov cocktails. A few ragtag planes were pieced together by retired Jewish pilots who had flown for other countries and had gotten themselves there. They defeated the Egyptian forces coming from the south. Without resistance or help, excuse me, without assistance or help from any other nation in the world, no explanation can be found other than God fought for them fiercely, like he had done so many previous battles through time. Defying explanation, non-professional soldiers of a baby nation won the day in the months following. And of course, since that time, there have been several wars that Israel continues to win against all odds as well. We go through a few of those. But at that moment when they won um, and they had their own nation, there was a lot of problems at that moment as well because of the Arabs that were living on the land that didn't get all of Israel. So just before, during these five months leading up to knowing they would be, have a land, the leaders, the Arab leaders living on the land, um, ordered an evacuation to get out into one of the friendly countries, Lebanon or Jordan, until the war happened. They knew it was coming. Once the war happened, then the Arab countries would win and establish the Arabs then as the leader of Palestine, and then they could all come back. That was their plan. And so 300,000 of them left and went to other nations waiting for the war. The war happened. Of course, they didn't win, and then Israel shut the borders and didn't let them back. So they left their homes, they left their land, they left their property thinking they could come back, and then Israel didn't let them come back. And then they also pushed out another 400,000 people. Another 400,000 Arabs. So that there was only about 200,000 left in Israel. They did have their own lands and homes. They were made Israeli citizens. And even today, that 160,000 has turned into 2 million Arabs that live as Israeli citizens. So a fifth of the population of Israel are Arabs today. But when that um, closing of the borders, not letting them return, and then pushing off another 400,000. That is called to the Arabs the Nakba, or the catastrophe that happened. And that is the, really the huge contention even now and why Israel are called occupiers on land that, that the Arabs feel like should have been theirs all along and should not have any... Jewish ownership there, or a Jewish state. And that is obviously a, a huge problem even today. And, you know, it's interesting to me that when I look at different governments in the world and throughout history, I really enjoy history. I don't know that there's been a government that's ever done things all right. There really hasn't. 
There have been governments who've done things to differing degrees, really bad, uh, horrible to, you know, somewhat okay. I think of our own government, founded with Christian men, right? We had some amazing Christian leaders who founded our nation. But it wasn't long before what we were doing to the Native Americans was horrible, in addition to the slaves that we have here. Right, so we're mistreating slaves. The native, the First Nation people, the Native Americans that were here, every, every single agreement, treaty that we made with them, we broke. Every single one. Didn't keep one of them. A lot of mistreatment. So and that's, that's in America. That's with a foundation that is Christian. I mean, take that throughout the world. Of course, even in, in the time of Jesus, a third of the world were slaves, a third of the world were enslaved at the time of Jesus. Slavery's been around a long, long time. It's horrific. It's horrible. And it's people mistreating other people. And you see that in nation after nation after nation. They're founding people are not treated well oftentimes. Oftentimes mistreated. Things not done right. There's only one government that is righteous and pure, and it's the kingdom of God when Jesus returns. Everything else is a mess. And has been. And it's not perfect. And it's honestly the same with the Israeli government. When they took over that nation, they didn't do everything right, in my opinion. I think things could have been done differently and probably could have eased some of this. At the same time, that nation is a nation. It was given. The war was won more than once. And it was given to them by the rest of the, na- of the world leaders and it's a legitimate country. And I would say that scripturally, it was also in God's heart for them to have their own nation. I want to I go through that. By the way, over the last 75 years, the Palestinians have been offered their own land within Israel to rule on five different occasions, a two-state solution. And they've rejected it every single time. Varying reasons along the way, but they've rejected it every single time. And that's not good, I would say, in that they either want everything or nothing. So since Israel was founded, several things spawned or took off. Uh, You put up that next slide. In the form of terrorist organizations. With the sole purpose of destroying the nation of Israel, and oftentimes Jewish people. You've got, oops, I forgot to mention that one. Go to the next slide, sorry. That was, that slide there that I just showed was when one of the wars that Israel fought, they won from Egypt, the entire Sinai Peninsula, tripling the size of their own country. But then Israel gave it back freely to them with this arrangement, this agreement, that Egypt would recognize them as a state that exists. And when they did that, they gave them back the Sinai Peninsula. That's pretty amazing to me, actually, right there. This slide, we've got Hamas that was formed since Israel became a nation, and in their charter is the destruction of the nation of Israel and Jewish people. So they, they're, they're, they hate both. It is clearly a terror organization, Islamic terror organization. Hezbollah, of course, Hamas is Sunni, Hezbollah would be Shia. They are on the Lebanese border. They're in they're Lebanon. Of course, there's some in, in Syria as well. They're funded by Iran, really started by Khomeini in, in, in Iran. And they have 100,000 soldiers. They have 100,000, 150,000 rockets ready to shoot into, into Israel, which they fire some here and there. So they are calling for the destruction of Israel. And then Iran itself, um, with the recent leadership since the revolution in 79, uh, their hatred for Israel has been talked about a lot. And they've mentioned over and over that they are about the destruction and the annihilation of Israel, going to wipe them off the map. You've heard that many, many times. So just by Israel's existence, you've got all these, as well as the PLO in the beginning, and many others, I mean, even ISIS, they were talking about destroying Israel once they get done with these other countries. You've got so many terrorist organizations that suddenly formed over this little strip of land and these several hundred thousand people called Jews. 
to annihilate them, to kill them. And for these decades, there is this all-out war against them, raising money to buy rockets, to dig tunnels, to do suicide bombings, all of these things to kill, maim, destroy Israel. It seems odd, even if you're, if you're just an outsider. You know nothing about the Bible, you know nothing about religion, and you look at this, you got to go, this is weird. That of all the countries in the world and all the peoples of the world, why this little sliver of land surrounded by Arab countries everywhere, 50-some Arab countries around it, this tiny little piece of land, smaller than New Jersey, why all the focus? Why the hatred for the Jews? Why the six million wiped out in Germany and many others along the way? Why this extreme hatred for this certain people? What have they done? It's such a, a fascinating thing. It's because it's a spiritual thing. It really is. So let me dive in here quickly. God spoke to Abraham when he was Abram, before he was a father, about his descendants. Genesis 15, 18. I'm going to read a few of these. Genesis 15, 18. To your descendants, God says to Abraham, I've given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Katamanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, how'd you like to be called that? The Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gigashite, all the ites, and the Jebusite. I've given this land that they are in, I'm giving it to you, Abram, and to your descendants. Genesis 17, verse 7, God says to Abram, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, not a temporary one, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, moving from place to place, all the land of Canaan, which is modern-day Israel and beyond, as an everlasting covenant. He repeats that. This is an everlasting thing. And I will be their God. And then he says to Isaac, I'm not going to read all of this, nearly the same words to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4. And then to Jacob, his son, Abram's grandson, he repeats the same thing. Genesis 28, verse 13. I'm giving you, not only does he have a promise spiritually, but there's physical land. He says, I'm giving this to you, and I'm giving this to you. I want you to remember, I'm giving it to you too. And it's going to be all through your descendants. God keeps repeating this over and over. And then to Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 30, we can read that verse 4. Even if any of you are dispersed or at the ends of the earth, the Lord your God will gather you together from wherever they're dispersed, and from there will br he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it, and he shall make you prosper and multiply even more than your fathers. To Joshua, when they get to the land of Canaan, he promises in Joshua chapter 1, verse 4, here are the borders, here's the land that I'm giving to you. And it's the same emphasis. To the prophets, God says to the prophets, prophesy this, here's what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel verse, chapter 20, verse 41. I will accept you when I bring you out from the people and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations. And you will know that I am the Lord. When I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your forefathers, people are going to know that I'm God when I bring you back to this land. Isaiah 11, 11, similar. So he spoke to another prophet in Isaiah about it. Jeremiah 15, let's read that one. Verse 16, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had driven them. So you see the Lord had a part, in one sense, in driving them to, and scattering them to the other nations of the world up north. Think of how many Jews went north. Russia, Poland, Germany. He says here, 
The Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries to which he had driven them. I will bring them back to their land, which I gave to their fathers. I'm going to bring them back. Again, the Dead Sea Scrolls are discovered, and in it are all these passages. God's going to give the land back to the Jews that have been scattered everywhere. And then that few months later, the announcement is made. Israel's getting their land. Pretty incredible. Cannot help but see the hand of God in this as well, even in the midst of an imperfect government. God clearly cares about his promise to Abraham and all the promises along the way that he would restore the Jewish people to their land. When God is speaking to another prophet, Daniel, he's told about the archangel Michael, who's assigned to Israel to watch over, to watch over it. Michael's been busy over these last 50 years. That's for sure. During the scattering that's happened, some done by God, some done by the enemy, the devil from Haman to the Crusaders to the Nazis to the current Islamic terror groups, they've stirred up hatred, violence. Hamas means violence. It's actually a Hebrew word, means violence. To destroy the people that God has used and will still use to bring about his plan. Why? Why is all this happening? I don't have the whole answer. Here's a part. Genesis 20, excuse me, Genesis 12, verse 3, God promises to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In you and your seed, every nation is going to be a blessing. And of course we know that the word of God comes down through the line of the Jews, which we found in the caves. And then the son of God comes through the Jews. Salvation, the message of salvation, comes through the Jews because of Jesus. The apostles are all Jewish. The entire world is, has been blessed by the Jewish people. Not to mention... Einstein and all these other guys that have done incredible things in science and astronomy and so many other ways. The entire world has been blessed. And the devil hates anything that God loves. The devil hates any plan that God has. The devil's, here's his job description, John 10, verse 10, to kill, steal, and destroy. And his plan is to do that at every turn in every way, and he uses people to do that. So he will put things in the hearts of people to kill, steal, and destroy anything that God is trying to do and God's people that he wants to use, as well as God's not done with the Jewish people or the nation of Israel. So that's one reason why there's not only extreme hatred, but there's also, you see this pulling together of the enemy's forces trying to annihilate them. God's not done with them. And Zechariah, it's really clear and it's incredible that the Jewish people will one day recognize the one in whom they pierced. Yes. Amen. They will recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior. Yes. And if you remember back when David, who was a forerunner, a shadow of Jesus, when he, his son Absalom took over, chased him out of the city, he goes across the river. He's basically a refugee for a while. And then Absalom dies, and it's time for him to come back to be the king, to return to the kingdom that he had established, that he was rightfully the king. He stays on the other side of the river, and he says, I'm not coming back until the elders of Jerusalem invite me. That's what King David did. He said, I'm not coming back until they invite me back. He waited. But as soon as those Elders invited him back. The king came across the river and came back into Jerusalem. Do you realize at the end how this is going to work? If the Jews are alive and the enemy hasn't wiped them out, which he won't, they will one day recognize Jesus as the king. And that invitation will be when he returns. And guess where he comes back to? To Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. The enemy does not want that to happen. 
Let's wipe them out. Let's take over Jerusalem. Let's take over Israel. Let's keep this from happening. That's just how the devil works. And so there is a role to play. Here's our role. And I'm going to close with this. What do we do? Knowing these things, having compassion for both the Jews and the Arabs, because every person has the same value in God. Every person has the same value. God will use people in different ways, but every person has been bought with the highest price, the blood of Jesus. He desires the salvation of every person. And it says in Exodus um, 18, excuse me, Ezekiel 18, that, that God does not desire the death of anyone. He wishes that everybody would live, would repent and live. That's God's heart. We are to share the gospel to everything that breathes. Right? Because you and I, most of us, unless you're Jewish, are Gentiles. The Arabs are Gentiles. We are Gentiles. And the door to the Gentiles has been open until it's fulfilled. So the door is wide open right now for the Gentiles to meet Jesus. One day that door will be closed. I don't understand how all that works, but that's what the Bible says. And so part of our role is to, Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Also, pray against the plans of the enemy. You and I have more authority than we realize in prayer. And we can pray for God to save individual lives, to change and to help. The Holy Spirit is the helper. The Spirit of God and his angels, Michael along with many others, are waiting to do things waiting for the believers to pray and ask for the will of God to be done, for the kingdom of heaven to come, that we can be praying these ways. Uh, a friend of mine who is a Jewish um, soldier did not know God. In fact, very little of the popula Jewish population knows Jesus in Israel, by the way. Do you know that? It's a small percentage that are believers right now in Jesus. They need salvation. But this Jewish soldier that I know... Um, ended up meeting Jesus, he was talking to this guy, and this guy came up to him and said, I have seen you. And he said, I've never met you before. No, he said, God has been putting your face in my heart for years, and I'm just now meeting you, and I've been praying for your salvation. That soldier ends up getting saved. He meets Jesus. He's now a Christian minister. But it came by the Spirit of God to another man who saw him in his mind, saw him in his spirit, began praying for his salvation, praying for his salvation. He gets saved. We are to pray for the salvation of Gentiles and Jews. And to ask God for help for the innocent in particular. I think of not on the Israel side, the Jewish families who have lost family members. Some are kidnapped. Many have been killed. 800,000 Jews have been displaced right now from their homes. On the other side, in Gaza, we have innocent people of Gaza who are fleeing this war right now. A lot of death, a lot of destruction, a lot of children. Innocent people who want nothing to do with Hamas, but are stuck. They need our prayers. Man, I have a compassion and a heart and a love for people on both sides, Arabs and Jews. They're cousins, basically, right? That to God, they can all be his kids. They can all be his kids. We need to pray for them. Let's pray for salvation. Let's pray for solutions to this issue that's going on right now and ask the Lord to stop this war quickly and to bring peace and to help. But let's also not be swayed by the enemy's deceptions and lies and make an enemy what's not really an enemy. Like what Hitler did, turning Jews into the enemy and capitalists into the enemy. What we don't want to do is that. God has a plan for Israel. He has all along. And the land's connected to his people. 
right. Lord, thank you for your word and your words, your promises, your heart. Thank you for your love, Jesus, that you died for every single person. For all of us in this room, for every Jewish person, for every Arab. Lord, we ask that you would help and that you would put in our hearts things to pray back to you that would have great effect. That we would, even as we're signing up for prayer times throughout the rest of the year, that we would take time during that to be praying for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done, for salvation to come, for dreams, for visitations from you. Lord, that you would save and set free the lost, the deceived. Would you set them free? Would you win their hearts? Lord, I ask for uh, missionaries and your word to penetrate through the war zone to touch hearts and lives. Lord, that you would heal up and comfort hearts that have been broken and they're hurting on both sides. Lord, I ask that you'd help. Lord, I ask you'd help where kids have lost parents and parents have lost children. Lord, would you please bring comfort and help? Lord, would you show us what we can do, both in prayer and even in giving as well? Ways that we can help and be a part of what you are doing. Lord, you turn what the enemy meant for evil into great good, and we ask that you do that in this situation. In Jesus' name. In the wonderful, powerful, beautiful name of Jesus, we give all this to you. Amen. Amen. So I understand that there are a lot of pieces I missed, and there are probably some of you who are angry that I even talked about this. If you do have questions about some of this, I'm happy to try and answer some. I don't have all the answers, but can talk about some of this. Um, and as we want to, again, have compassion for every single person, recognizing still that God has established this um, nation, we're going to be praying for them as well. All right. Hey, we've got prophetic teams which are out there in the lobby if you'd like to receive an encouraging word. We also have prayer teams over here if you'd like to receive prayer. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and week ahead. Lord bless. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.